authenticity is a very overused word, but I feel like you have to be your most authentic self. And I read an article that I was mentioned in, it was like, how to do Instagram right. And then it said, um, Rebecca Minkoff, making big brands feel small. And basically like, because I'm taking my Zoom meetings and my podcasts from my bathroom floor, that makes a big looking brand feel intimate. And I'm like, that's not us trying to do that. That's literally the only place in my house yeah. I can like work undisturbed. Like there's no, there's no strategy here of like, let's be real. And like, do you think I want to sit in front of a toilet as I do my, my live Instagrams and like smell, smell, you know, my son's <laughs> miss aims on the toilet? No, but this is what's really going on. And so I'm not going to sugarcoat it. And I'm not Michael Kors in his trillion dollar penthouse showing you how to make banana bread. I'm like, this is fucking real life. And I'm a real person and, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, give you content. Welcome to the Simply Be podcast, a no bullshit guide to building your brand, your business and your best life. I'm Jessica Zweig, founder of Simply Be. And you will hear from CEOs, entrepreneurs, authors, reality TV stars, shamans, influencers, and everyone in between, including me, on why your authenticity is the ultimate key to building a business and a life on your own terms. We are so happy you found us. But really, by listening, you've taken one step closer to finding yourself. If you love this show, be sure to rate, review, and share it with the most authentic people that you know. And if you want to be the first to hear when our newest episodes drop, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. So let's set ourselves free to simply be. You ready? Let's do this. You're listening to the Simply Be Podcast, episode number 47. Hello, hello, my friends. Welcome back to the show. I am so excited about this episode. I mean, I'm just so excited about every single episode we're doing lately, y'all. This season is on fire and it just keeps getting better. Today, we've got Rebecca Minkoff on the show, you guys. Rebecca fucking Minkoff. She's a badass. She's a globally recognized designer and female entrepreneur. And I'm so excited to dive into our conversation and have you learn from her because I learned so much from her. You're going to learn about leadership. You're going to learn about management. You're going to learn about the distinction between being a designer and being a businesswoman. We're going to talk about COVID and how the fashion industry is being impacted. We're going to talk about authenticity and how to really truly show up online, on social media today in a way that you never have before. And Rebecca Minkoff has always been the master of social media. She's built her brand so beautifully over these last 5, 10, 15 years. And you're going to hear straight from her how to do it right, right now. But before we get into the interview, I want to catch you guys up on uh, my life. <laughs> it's been crazy. So I've been writing my book, as you know, I've been talking about it for a while. Writing a book is a massively long process. It's been, by the time my book comes out next year, it will have been two years from the time I started writing my proposal, got the agent, got a publisher, wrote the manuscript, edited the manuscript, and launched it. Yeah, that whole process is about 24 months. So I'm right in the thick of it. I had to 
Well, I didn't have to. So here's what happened. I sent my manuscript into my editor by my deadline in January. She wrote me back. She sent it back to me in March. And she was like, this is great. And she didn't really have that many changes. But I knew in my heart, I knew in my body, I knew it in my soul that it wasn't the book that I really, really wanted it to be. It was a slab of marble. It wasn't a slab of wood. It wasn't a slab of plastic. It was still marble, but it was still a slab. And it needed to be chiseled. It needed to be whittled away into a sculpture. And so I took it upon myself to basically rip my whole book apart. (laughs) I did that pretty much every single day for the last um, 35 days straight. My deadline was May 1st. I had a very short turnaround time and I got it in uh, yesterday. And I was talking to my friend Megan today and it literally felt like birthing a child. It was so intense and painful and exquisite and handing it in felt like a release. It felt like a relief. It felt beautiful and cathartic. And the truth is, I still have so much more to go. Um, But I have poured my heart and soul into it, you guys, because it's for you. It's for the people listening and the people who who need it in the world. I just feel so strongly about waking people up to their power. And your power is you, simply being you. And if I can impart just that awareness on on one person at a time, um, I'm going to do my part in elevating the world and, and changing it for the better. I really believe in my book and I really can't wait for you to read it. So I'm proud of myself that I I fucking hustled the way that I did um, because it was all for you. So all things considered, I had gone up to Wisconsin uh, about a week ago with my husband and I brought my dogs to get some headspace to finish the book. And we rented an Airbnb. It was clean and sanitized um, by the wonderful owners up in Wisconsin And I was there for three days to write this book, and we had a yard, and we had nature, and we had this big space. I live in Chicago in a pretty cramped up uh, condo, and I was a different person, and so was my husband. And we looked at each other on our last day there, and we were like, we need to get more of this because Chicago, where I live, is quarantined until the end of May. And so him and I were like, yeah, no, we don't think we we can hang for a whole other month in the city. And so by the grace of God, we got connected to a friend who has a house in Florida, down there in Naples, and we're going to stay there. We're going to drive tomorrow. I'm leaving actually tomorrow at the crack of dawn, and we're going to drive 20 hours straight, me, my husband, and my two dogs, and we're going to set up shop in Naples, Florida for the next three weeks. So by the time you listen to this, I will be there. I will be coming at you from the Sunshine State very excited about uh, blue skies, 85 degree weather and palm trees. Not very excited, though, about what that Florida humidity does to my hair. Nonetheless, I'm going to embrace it and get over myself and um, enjoy enjoy the fact that I can I get to go to Florida and work. Really, I'll just be working more of the same, but from a beautiful location. So I'm excited to take you guys along with me for the ride figuratively and literally and uh, continue to create all this great content and, and magical stuff for you in the next few weeks from there. Speaking of amazing content, let's dive into today's interview with the tremendously phenomenally inspiring Rebecca Minkoff. So I actually met Rebecca Minkoff about 10 years ago when I was running my magazine, Cheeky Chicago. It was my online magazine for women that I ran for seven years. And it was at the beginning of my career running that magazine. And we had partnered up with Saks Fifth Avenue, actually, in downtown Chicago to 
do the launch of Rebecca Minkoff's latest handbag collection. And Rebecca had flown in from New York uh, for the event itself, and we had we had hosted the party. So I got to meet her back then. I remember taking a couple pictures with her and, you know, really talking to her about her collection. We featured it on our magazine. And I've just loved watching her business completely flourish. She has changed and evolved so much, obviously, since that time. I mean, we all have. But in today's interview, she really opens up about her journey from designer to business owner to single woman to mom of three to what it's like to, you know, be a leader, create a culture, how she's thriving and, to be frank, surviving COVID-19. It's really impacted her business. She talks very openly about that today. And, and I was just so moved by her honesty and her thoughtfulness in this interview and how she really brought so much value to to the conversation, uh, true expertise. And it's it's no surprise because she's an industry leader. I mean, Rebecca Minkoff's playful and subtly edgy designs are spotted all around the world on young women and celebrities alike. Today, Rebecca Minkoff isn't only her own brand. She is a global brand. I was so amazed and not at all surprised by Rebecca's realness and her honesty. And if you were a fan of the Rebecca Minkoff brand before, you're going to be obsessed with the Rebecca Minkoff brand and person behind it even more after you hear this interview. So without further ado, let's get into my chat with Rebecca. So Rebecca, thank you so much for being on my show. Welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm excited that you're here as well. So we actually met. I remember meeting you almost, I would say, over t- almost 10 years ago when you were in Chicago launching a collection and I was running my magazine Cheeky and we were the media partner, if you will, uh, getting all those women out to, to celebrate your launch. And that was about a decade ago. So I'm interested to know what has been the most significant change in your business since that time? Wow, that is a, that is a, I feel like I could write a novel mm-hmm. in the significant changes. I think back in 2010, if that's the year that we're thinking of, or maybe it was 2009, we had just launched clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, we, I didn't have any kids yet. You know, the word direct to consumer was maybe still something new. Influencer marketing was still pretty new. And so everything's changed, you know, the whole entire landscape of marketing and digital. And, um, we didn't have stores then. Now we have two stores. So I think a lot of basically it's a different world. If you were to go back in time, you, you would maybe recognize, you know, the bags that have stuck around. But other than that, I think everything is different. And how have you changed? Well, I became, I'm now a mother to three. Um, I have an eight-year-old, a five-year-old, a two-year-old. So um, becoming a mom has like, I call it opening up the fourth dimension. It's like (laughs) a a sense you didn't know was possible or could even feel um, both high and low, I would say. And I think that I, I went from, you know, someone who was just a designer to someone that uh, became a businesswoman. You know, I think I wanted to hold on to this idea that I was an artist and this was my craft and that's all I needed Mm. to know. And I really had to become smarter, more nimble and well-versed in business in order to to really succeed. Yeah, I I can relate to that. So the Rebecca Minkoff brand started very much 
I mean, in, in many ways, as a product brand, you, you made, you know, beautiful, beautiful bags. And now it represents, I believe, so much more. What do you believe in your own words, the, the Rebecca Minkoff brand? What, what does it holistically stand for? I think what I want to stand for is from a, from an aesthetic point of view, um, it really is this idea of this mix of rock and roll and bohemian. Um, it's always the play on hard and soft, masculine, feminine, um, being a, you know, a sexy tomboy. There's always this yin and yang to the aesthetic. And from, you know, what it means to buy Rebecca Minkoff, you're buying something that A, has incredible quality and also is designed to be part and parcel with trends, but you're never buying something that you look at three months later and you're like, oh gosh, why did I buy that? Or, or that's old, I'm going to retire this. So I think I want to give you something that, you know, a woman that makes her feel confident, makes him feel celebrated or him, I'm sorry, I'm about my kid right now, uh, makes her feel celebrated. And above all else, I also think like I never wanted a woman to walk around showcasing the plaque that gave a sign of how much she spent on her bag. Yeah. Um, I really want you to get stopped and noticed for your style, for how you put your outfit together. And so, you know, that kind of idea of like, you're, you're known for your, how you put this look and style together versus, Oh, here's how much money I spent on this designer label. Do you know, that's so funny that you say that because, so I was raised in a very affluent suburb, Highland park outside of Chicago. And my parents were, you know, self-made people. So the majority of my life, I didn't really have nice clothes or nice things. And my mom always taught me that it's not about the label. Like she was always like, why would you want to put someone else's name on your, on your shirt? And we shopped at like TJ Maxx and Marshall's. I mean, that was, you know, how, how I grew up and my relationship to clothes was always on a budget. And to be frank, I'm not just saying this because I'm talking to you. One of the first nice handbags that I ever got as a gift from my parents for Hanukkah was a Rebecca Minkoff bag. And I fell in love with your collection from like that time in my life when I was in my early twenties. And your, first of all, it's always been amazing, but it's evolved so much. And you're absolutely right. Your work is timeless. And my, the Rebecca Minkoff bags that I have are like, they go with anything. It's not about the the label. It's about just feeling really empowered with your own, with your own style. And so I really, I love to hear you say that because it's exactly kind of how I grew up. My mom's philosophy, like really, really did impart onto me how I approach fashion, which is, which is what makes me feel good and not what other people think of me. Totally. And I also think um, one thing I forgot to mention, and it's purely based on the stories I hear, but I've come to realize that our brand is also really a milestone moments brand when, mm. you know, like whenever I meet someone, there's like a really meaningful story about their first Rebecca Minkoff like you just shared. Yeah. And so I think it's these, you know, we want to be there for these pivotal moments in a woman's life or important moments, whether it's graduation or their first bag or bat mitzvah or, you know, their divorce or whatever yeah. it is, you know, we want to be a part of a part of their life in, in those meaningful moments. Yeah, that's beautiful. I'm glad I got to share mine. <laughs> so <laughs> you have, um, you know, women empowerment is a real thread in your platform right now with the female founder collective and a lot of different things that you've done to really advance women. And I'm wondering what was the seed of that? Because you are so much more than a product line. You're, you're a platform as far as I'm concerned. And so why women empowerment? I think it really came out of a feeling that 
the fashion industry was extremely insular as I was, you know, growing up in it and it was extremely clicky and it was this club that you either had to be born into the right family or have a lot of money or have Anna Winter, you like deem you <laughs> enough to be enough. And, you know, I really came from the outside and we really arrived success wise because of our consumer. And so I just didn't ever feel like I had a group of people, nor did I feel supported. And so I think out of a desire to not have other people go through that, I started, you know, wanting to unite different kinds of women, hear their stories and really just get people of other industries together. So it started kind of that as an organic sort of idea. And then I thought, okay, let me take this into like, how, how can I affect women that are coming up or are just starting out. And so, you know, between launching the podcast and the female founder collective, it was a way to unite a collective of women because, you know, those tips, those tricks, those resources, even if it's one contact of someone saying, Oh, here's what I used for my website platform. Like that's a far better recommendation than you going on Google and trying to figure out the 20 different things they advertise. So I think it was that it was a desire because, you know, the wage gap conversation is part and parcel of every panel I'm on or any talk that I do. And I was sick of that. And so I was like, how could I create a place or a symbol that people could recognize like, oh, this is women owned. I'm going to purchase from this company rather than, you know, I'm going to buy Jenny's ice cream instead of Ben and Jerry's, or I'm going to buy health aid kombucha instead of Dr. T's. And so how could you really get the consumer involved uh, in a way that their purchases really could affect um, behavior and hopefully make, you know, some of these 12 million women-owned businesses more easily visible? Um, and then education. I think I didn't, you know, I got my education through failing. And so if we could have educational resources of founders, teaching founders who've been through it, lived, died, survived, got back up yeah. again, that to me was like, just a way that you could get these women really great information and learnings without having to go through it failing and learning. I love that so much. And I relate to that so much. I think women empowerment is a huge thread of my brand as well. And to be to be honest, very similarly to you, I mean, not in the fashion industry in New York, but most of my young adult life, I, I was never cool. I was always bullied. I was a victim of the mean girls. And I came out and through that really wanting community and wanting to build what I never had for, for others. And that's, you know, how I first started my first business, which was a women's magazine, a lifestyle magazine that really created community for women. And I just, I love how so much of our, as, as business women, perhaps later in life, our choices and our, our, the mechanisms in which we build our business around stem from, you know, that, that emotional longing, you know, that we didn't necessarily have. So we created it. I love that. You mentioned failure, Rebecca, and I think we learn so much from other people's failures more so than we do our, our, the successes that we see. Can you share with us perhaps what has been one of your biggest failures and what you learned? Yeah. First of all, I think failure happens all the time. It doesn't stop when you achieve a certain level of success. Um, and I think failure is a good thing. I liken it to a muscle and the more you fail, the quicker you can get back up again. So I never like to view it as this is bad and I'm terrible and, oh, how could I do that? Um, obviously there's that moment of like, oh shit, how did this, you know, how did I get into this situation? Let me make some changes so that I don't get back into it. 
But I think once you recognize and go into like, okay, problem solving mode, that's the healthiest approach. So some of our bigger failures, um, I think in the very beginning, you know, we didn't have quality control. It was probably like a luxury if we could afford that role. And our first overseas partner also made Kate Spade's bags. And um, in the factory, there was no segmentation of the hardware. So I guess... Well, I know that our our hardware pieces were in the same room as Kate Spades and the Chinese workers, you know, not all of them speaking or reading English, started mixing the hardware on the bags. And so because we didn't have QC, uh, we shipped bags with Kate Spade hardware and Rebecca Minkoff hardware all mm-hmm. nicely mixed together. And it was our customer that got to discover this fun fact. And it was this prolific outpouring of what's wrong with her? You know, how did she do this? And then this particular forum where there are a ton of handbag enthusiasts gave me a nickname, Quebec. Oh so God. That was, <laughs> that was fun. Wow. Wow. Um, so, you know, just to be in tears, calling my first factory, not sure. knowing, you know, shipping to major department stores, not knowing like, are they all going to return all the goods? Are my customers going to think we're, you know, terrible business owners. And just going through that moment, just was like, at the time, it's a nightmare. Now I can laugh about it, but that was probably one of the one of the, one of the more noteworthy. That's failures. pretty. That's pretty damn noteworthy. <laughs> but <laughs> but that's how you grow. You know, I believe we don't win or lose; we win or we learn. And failing forward has been the motto of of my career as a female entrepreneur as well. So I welcome failures, even though they suck in the moment. It's what defines us at the end of the day how we respond. I would love to talk more about your transition from designer to to entrepreneur. And when did you know that you were a businesswoman versus a designer? Um, I hate giving him the credit, but I, I do recall a conversation with my brother where he was like, you can't just be a designer in your ivory tower. It's great that you know everything that's happening in this world, but like you need to actually become well-versed in other things. And I probably want to say that was four or five years ago. And so I begrudgingly started reading TechCrunch and Matchable. And at the airport, instead of picking up, you know, Harper's or Glamour, I was picking up Inc. and Fast Company. And I think once I started absorbing that information, I could see the difference of, you know, being in a marketing meeting and thinking differently or asking different questions, you know, like, did this perform? Did it work? You know, it's no longer just your own egotistical creation with no strings attached. You know, you start looking at things differently or trying to optimize decisions or, you know, it just broadens your mind. So I don't know if I remember like having this idea of like, oh, now I'm a businesswoman. Um, But I just, you know, think as I became more educated and exposed myself to this more, and then also, you know, my network of women became more diverse and not just fashion-based women, I think, you know, it just starts to happen. You just start thinking totally. differently. I love that that harkens back to a conversation that you had with your brother and that there are little like nuggets of, of wisdom, whether it's welcome or not, or expected or not, that can really shape the way you look at things. For me, it was one of my mentors who told me years ago, and I'm sure you're going to relate to this. He said to me once, Jessica, you're not a business owner yet. You're a shopkeeper. He's like, you got to be there to turn the lights on every day turn the lights off every day, lock the door and come back the next day. And a business owner, I remember he was like, can go to Fiji and her business will still run. And 
I think that's been a big shift that I've learned recently in my second business is really empowering my people and the difference between being like a manager and a leader. What has that experience, because I'm assuming your organization is big. um, How has being a leader changed you? It's taken on many different iterations. I think when you start your company and you hire your first four to 10 employees, it really is a small family. And it really is like everyone's in it together. And there's this palpable excitement of like, you're there to build something. And then when that first person leaves you, I just remember feeling like betrayed, like someone in my family had crossed me and I was bitter and angry and resentful of them. And then as you grow and you become like 10 to 25, things become less intimate. And at one point we don't have a hundred employees anymore, but at one point I think we have like 115 employees. And I'm like, I'm going to be honest. I know 50 people's names here and I don't have an intimate experience with, with all of them. And so I think as a leader, you go through these these times where you're like, okay, how do I lead and not get emotional, you know, and emotionally connected to these people in a way that I'll feel like betrayed if they, if they leave me or how, now that I have a hundred people, how do I actually create a little bit more intimacy? Because right now I can't tell you people's first and last names, you know? And then it's also like, okay, when you do reach a certain size, you know, we had never prioritized Mm. culture within our company because we were so focused on growth and just not even focus on growth. We were trying to keep up, you know? So then when you have time to focus on culture, you're like, Oh, how do we create this? You can't just, you know, I thought a simple solution was making everyone's desk look nice and doing Mm -hmm. happy hours and workout sessions, you know? And it's like, okay, that's not how you create a culture. So how do you do that? So I think it's, it's constantly learning. You're constantly evolving. And sometimes you have to micromanage and that's okay. And sometimes you don't, when you get one of those employees and you don't have to manage them, like treat them like gold, do whatever you can to keep them. Because, you know, I, I liken it to bricklayers. Like there's only so many bricks a person can lay in a day. Hmm. And if you can get another person who wants to lay those bricks and who's not just there to clock in and clock out, they're extraordinarily valuable. And I think sadly rare. And so really invest in those people and guide them and you know, inspire them and, and do what you can to keep them. That's amazing advice that I'm taking to heart as as I'm listening to you. Because I, I have a small team personally at 10 people and it's a family and I have lost people before I've had people leave and it's so personal and it's you take it so, so hard. And it's crazy. The bigger that you become, the more in a sense, I hate to, I hate to use the word, but detached you do, you need to be. And you can only be so there's only so much of you to go around and as your organization grows you really have to scale you have to scale yourself differently and i i agree culture is is so much more than just like fun events and and you know a great great decor it's the energy and the uh, intention you set like at a very core level and i've i've worked really hard at doing that too do you feel that your um your team is you know where you you need it to be right now for sure i mean one thing I want to add before I answer that question is for a while, I also tried to be the like hmm. office mom and like, I'm here for you if you need. And it literally became yeah. a therapy session. And, you know, I had a call with a friend of ours who is uh, a really smart businessman. He's like, you are giving these people a paycheck to come to work every day. They are paying their rent because you're paying them. So you're not there to give hugs. 
you're there to be supportive, but you're not there to be like office mom and therapy hours. He's like, if these people, like these are people who are here to get a job done and do it well, there's not like this idea of, well, she's trying so hard. No, get someone in who knows how to do the job, you know, who can be trained and either they do it or they don't. And there's none of this like, oh, but she, she means well. And that really changed my view and not to become harsh or not understanding or not be empathetic, but it's like, oh, wait, I'm paying you. You got to be able to do the job I'm paying you to do. You know, like there is no try, Mm -hmm. right? Obviously people have potential, but then those people with potential learn and execute. So I think that also shifted me. So it's not the overly empathetic and huggy bear and it's not the mean person with the whip, but there are expectations. Like if you're here to do the job, that's what we hired you to do. So I love that. I I'm like giving, you can't in. see me, but I'm giving you like the hallelujah hands, like the emoji. Like, yeah, yeah. It's like, this is so yes. golden. I, I could not agree with you more. And I, I think it's such an important thing for women to hear. And I know most of the people who listen to my show are women who want to be leaders and who are running their own businesses. And, you know, there's, there's innate qualities. I, I believe I'm fascinated by the divine masculine and the divine feminine dichotomy and that we really are out of balance for most of the world, you know, we really overvalue the masculine and that there are innate gifts that we have as women that are, are, you know, becoming more valued in business and also just in the world, which are the qualities of compassion and empathy and love and kindness and, and how we can really use that to run businesses. But one of the things that I think makes a really strong female leader is the connection and confidence that she has in her masculine values, which, which are in my you know, reflections and study is the qualities of assertion and problem solving and action and confidence and, you know, linear thinking. And that you do need both to be, to be a successful leader, man or woman, but to just hear the way you phrase that, Rebecca was so inspiring. So well said. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, thanks. It's true. Thanks. Yeah. It's true. So, all right. So we're in a crazy time right now. I'm coming at you from quarantine and I know you are too. And, you know, the fashion industry, I think, broadly speaking, is shifting. And it's really interesting to see their response to COVID-19. I'm interested on your perspective and and how you, well, first of all, how you're responding as a brand. And then let's talk about the industry at large. Yeah. So as a brand, about 70% of our business overnight evaporated. You know, we were a primarily direct to consumer, let's see, sorry, we were primarily a wholesale brand with a strong direct to consumer business. But, you know, our attention and our organization was really built to serve wholesale partners such as Saks, you know, Nordstrom, Neiman Marcus. And overnight, we all, not just us, but the industry got emails of, hey, we're canceling our purchase orders, even those, are, you know, those are legally binding hmm. documents. Um, you know, we're going to cancel the next three months. We'll see how it goes um, after this. And <laughs> uh, thanks. And so to have that happen and to know like, yeah, you can sue these guys. You can fight them. But are you really going to win right now? Like with what's happening? Or are you going to waste money in court? And so we really had to say, okay, we're existing on the money that our e-commerce site brings in. And what does that organization look like? And what does it have to do? And how does it have to perform? Unfortunately, with that came, you know, some furloughs and some layoffs because again, 
we had built the company and many of the rules to serve those, yeah. those wholesale partners. So that was probably the worst week of my life where I cried every day. Um, totally. To these people. So that was terrible, um, and terrifying. You know, my goal is fight every day to survive and hire those people back. Like that's my, you know, my sole reason for being is to get these people back yeah. at the other end of this. And so we've had to adapt obviously to working remotely. So we have our 10 a.m., you know, calls daily with the management team. And from there, everyone goes off and executes on, you know, how do we optimize this company and keep it going and serve our customer. But what it's also done, and I guess the silver lining in all this is we've never as a company only thought about ourselves, you know. It's like a mother, you know, she's, she's constantly thinking about her children and her family. And if she gets some much awaited <laughs> self-care, yeah. that's like a luxury. And we've been prioritizing all these other businesses for the, you know, for 15 years. And so to really just look at ourselves and what do we want and how do we want to do this and what should we focus on has really been exciting for us as a company and a relief, to be honest. So I think you know, when we get out of this, we will approach doing business with these people again, mm. but it'll be on our terms. And really it'll be about like, well, what do we want to do and how do we want to grow this? And it's about our company first and foremost, and people can play in our sandbox, but we're no longer going to be, you know, sacrificing everything to to make their businesses and to make That's amazing. Money. That's amazing to hear. And um, sending you empathy and love for having to furlough your people. I have not had to do that yet and I don't intend to. I'm a lot obviously smaller than you and we're working really hard every single day to avoid that. That's my worst nightmare as well. And I think that's just the price that you pay that so many people don't really understand what the gravity of what that, what being a leader, you know, being an owner entails. And I'm um, just sending you a lot of compassion about that because it's really real. It's really, really real. Yeah. It's really real. <laughs> um, virtual yes. hug, virtual hug to that. You um, just released a, a New York Stronger Together t-shirt, right? To help healthcare workers? Yeah, we actually sold out. So we just placed a reorder. But I, I want to do something. And it took way longer than I imagined it would because people aren't working or, you know, fully mm -hmm. functioning. So, you know, I just began to go like, what can I do? What can I do? And I was like, ugh. Duh, why didn't I think of this sooner? You know, after day one, why didn't I think of this? Um, my career essentially launched with a 9-11 shirt that I did uh, that was an I Heart New York shirt. And so, and then, you know, we've done tons of different shirts, whether it was for the Women's yeah. March with our Girl Power shirts or, you know, just using shirts to support causes. And so we were able to relatively quickly um, get some shirts made in New York City and really just, you know, have all, 100% of the proceeds go to people on the front lines. And so I was able to connect with a charity, mm -hmm. Help Mask a Hero. So all the money goes to them. Um, they then buy the masks and get them deployed to hospitals and healthcare workers in need. So hopefully when we're back in stock, people will keep buying. And we can keep, we, we can keep giving the money. Do you feel the the fashion industry. I mean, you just explained how you're shifting and pivoting and your new perspective on it, on it all and your business. Do you feel the fashion industry is going to shift at large because of what's happening? For sure. I think that 
the industry has been broken for a long time. You know, we were, the orders that these stores were supposed to take in were labeled summer transition and pre-fall. And those are goods that you're shipping in April, May, and June. But we, we know, and we've known for a long time that this customer isn't buying summer clothes in April, May, and June. But the department stores and these wholesalers won't sort of stop this cadence. So now when they open up again, let's say everything goes back to normal or somewhat normal in June, and some of the stores honor their word and they take in Mm. these orders, they're actually going to be getting true seasonal clothing that's meant for the time that it's in. So I think naturally, because so many designers have had to take breaks from seasons or skip a season, whether it's financial or, you know, their factories are closed or for all the reasons, like everyone's going to sort of be forced to get Mm -hmm. on the right calendar. And I think it'll also shift in that because you're not producing as many seasons, you're not having to design as much in this rat race of like never stopping, I think is going to slow down. And I think people are going to be more conservative about inventory. So there'll be far less waste. I think people are going to be much more cautious about doing deals with these stores. So, you know, their businesses might organically be smaller. And so we'll have to see. I think it was too much and there was no, it seemed seemingly no way to get off the treadmill. But I think, you know, obviously this is, this is forced the treadmill. I think that they're, to your point exactly in all of the things you just outlined, it's a really positive thing, to be honest. I mean, I don't want to negate the, the true tragedy of people dying and losing their jobs and the drama that's going to come from that. But I also think that it's really empowering us and forcing us to reassess our values and to get really clear on what matters to us and to prioritize, you know, how we spend our time and, and how we spend our money to be frank in a different way. And I think that 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 is a beautiful thing for the world of us sort of awakening into a different level of consciousness that when we're really finally through this and we can look back at it in hindsight, we're going to see the good that's coming out of it. And and I love what you just outlined from, from the fashion industry's perspective. And I hope that that's a positive thing, you know, for that space as well. You've been at the forefront of social media and technology as an entrepreneur for a long, long time before this whole thing went down. And you know, you're really great at it. You've mastered it. And it's been a huge asset to your to your growth and to your community and to your brand affinity. Now that we're all being forced to really navigate the online space and understand how to connect and, you know, compel our consumers on the internet, no matter if we want to or not, what advice do you have for those that are trying to stay relevant to their clients and, and customers right now? Because you just do it so well. I think that you have to start by... Talking to your customer and setting the tone from there, I really wanted to make sure that during this time that I didn't say something or act in a way that felt tone deaf. And I wanted to make sure that like, if she wanted me to just talk about the news and, and Corona, great, I'll figure that out. Or if she wanted me to be the break that, you know, we also badly needed, do that too. And so I started by asking her and I think you know, I'm trying to ride a line of realness and authenticity, you know, authenticity is a very overused word, but I feel like you have to be your most authentic self. And I read an article that I was mentioned in, it was like, (laughs) how to do Instagram right. And then it said, um, Rebecca Minkoff, 
making brand big brands feel small. And basically like, because I'm taking my zoom meetings and my podcast from my bathroom floor, that makes a big looking brand feel intimate. And I'm like, that's not us trying to do that. That's literally the only place in my house yeah. I can like work undisturbed. Like there's no, there's no strategy here of like, let's be real. And like, do you think I want to sit in front of a toilet as I do my, my live Instagrams and like smell, smell, you know, my son's <laughs> miss aims on the toilet. No, but this is what's really going on. And so I'm not going to sugarcoat it. And I'm not Michael Kors in his trillion dollar penthouse showing you how to make banana bread. I'm like, this is fucking real life. And I'm a real person. And, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, give you content. So when I say authenticity, it's from that lens. And then, you know, I think probably leaning out of your comfort zone. Do I want to do some of the things I'm doing? No. Do we have a whole set of really great images that we had worked really hard to go out and shoot in LA before this all happened? Yes, I can't use them right now, you know, so, okay, let's shoot me. Let's shoot me in real life. Do I have the hair and makeup I want? No. So it's just all these, you know, sort of just, how do you connect? How do you sort of get out of your own discomfort and just serve your consumer and, and use this time to connect with your community? I think above all, you know, for brands, especially those that can't ship or can't serve their customers with product, they need to really just grow their community and get people loyal so that when they do relaunch or reemerge, you know, that consumer is going to be like, oh, she nourished me when, when it was hard. I'm going to remember, I'm going to remember her the next time, you know, I need a dress. I love that Rebecca. That's so good on all the levels and picturing you in your toilet next to your toilet (laughs) right now. But like, you know, I wrote, I don't, I don't know (laughs) if I told you this, but I wrote a book. I'm publishing a book next year and it's called B. And it's on the topic of authenticity and how you use it as a strategy for success in life and business. And it is such an overused word. And I, I address that in the book and the way you just described it is really, really powerful. And it's true. It's not about pretending to be anything other than where you are. And that is authenticity when it's completely unapologetic in your truth. And I think people connect to that more than ever. And I think this is actually a really exciting time to show up that way because no one's expecting you to have full makeup and hair and a beautiful polished production studio. And if you did, it'd be kind of off and weird um, for you to just really, really mm-hmm. take advantage of this mm-hmm. time where expectations are low in the most beautiful way and to show up as raw as possible, not as a strategy, but just because that's what what we what we've got to work with. And it's something I, I don't think people need to master it. It's just really just you. I mean, it's the central message of my entire brand, which is something that you've done really well. And I think that you're absolutely right. I love the word nourish when you um, can provide value at the end of the day. It's not about you or your product or what you can sell, but it's about being in service bottom line. So tell me what's totally for you. I mean, I know that's probably a big question considering there's so much unknown, but what is, what is next for the Rebecca Minkoff brand? I mean, if you want to take a look at the next two weeks, I can tell you, (laughs) um, you know, we, we are in October launching fragrance and you can definitely do that digitally if we're all still in our homes and you're going to want to smell very good if you're in your home for that long. Um, so that's really exciting. Um, I was able to use my community to crowdsource, you know, a lot of the different aspects of the process. So that's been fun to do. Um, 
I am also oh, tell, writing a book. T- can you tell us more about it next summer? So, oh, okay, okay, I can't. We're just starting the. We're just starting, you know, the outline and what we want to speak to. But it really is about like it, at the end of the day, it'll be you know lessons, stories, you know, telling stories. But obviously, there's a tangible yep. lesson with each each one that I've learned. That then, uh, that I know you're going to go through and learn too, because you can't not if you work and or have a business. It's exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. And I think honestly, like I probably have talked about it too much, but we're really excited to like, once we get back to normal quote unquote life, like dig in and like, how do we build a digital first brand? That's, you know, our own website, which we have again, a strong presence, but just make that the forefront, make that what we think about and talk about and run every day. So that that's going to be a nice thing instead of this rat race of what do they want? What did they order? How big was their order? Do you think they'll take more units? Like, no. What do we want on our site? And, and well, what if makes anyone can do that, Rebecca, it's you because you've innovated and evolved. I mean, 15, how long have you been running your business? Did you say 15 years? Yeah, that's amazing. And you started off years. as a, you know, a product designer for handbags and you've built this platform, this holistic platform that is so much more than just about fashion. And I've watched you innovate and evolve your aesthetic all the way to the way that you do business and what the Rebecca Minkoff brand means in the world. And so if anyone is going to stay on trend and be a cut above in this next wave of how we live and do business in the world, it's going to be you. So I can't wait to see what you do. Well, thank you. I'm so Thank glad you. you. Have I'm so excited that you were on my podcast. Out. I've been a, a, a huge fan of your brand for the longest time. I mean, it was my you were my very first like beautiful fancy handbag, and your style is my style. And I'm obsessed that you launched clothing and your your crossbody bags are my favorite. By the way, it's, they're they're so good. They're so so epic. And I'm really really grateful to have you on my show because. I really look up to you as an entrepreneur, as a female entrepreneur, um, you know, in the world and the ecosystem. And I think what you're doing for women in particular is incredibly important. So thank you for the work that you do. So before we, we wrap, I just want to ask you one final question, which is what I ask every guest, which is what does the word simply be mean to you? Simply be means to not try and be someone else or emulate what you think other people have or how they act, just like be you and celebrate that and find the joy in being you're uniquely you. We all have our own fingerprints. Like beautiful. just be exactly, yourself. Exactly right. There are no wrong answers to that, but I always love to hear it. And that was so beautifully said. So thank you. Where can people obviously find you? I mean, I know that it's it's your name, but tell us all the places and all the things. You can follow me at Rebecca Minkoff. You can mm-hmm. buy my Wears at RebeccaMinkoff.com. You can listen to my podcast. It's called Superwomen with Rebecca Minkoff. And um, I'm not on TikTok yet, but my handle is at Rebecca Minkoff Official. If I decide that I'm ready to, I, I hear you. I, I haven't gotten, I haven't joined it yet myself because it's a, so I'm a busy, I'm a busy person. And that's, a, that sounds like s- such an addictive time suck, but it's fun to be a voyeur from what I've been told versus a content creator. So we'll keep our eyes out if you do end up, you know, dancing for us to, to crazy songs over there. It was really, really good to, to chat with you. And thank you for all of the wisdom that you imparted today. It was really personally inspiring. And I know that my, 
my audience is going to find it to be the same. Thank you so much. If you loved this podcast, and I so hope you did, please go ahead and subscribe. That way, you'll get real-time updates anytime I post a new episode. And if you're feeling extra generous, go ahead and leave us a review. I will be reading listener reviews at the top of each episode, and I would love, love, love to feature yours. If you want to continue to hang out with us, you can come find us on the interwebs. We are at simplybeagency.com. And you can subscribe to our newsletter where we send exclusive invites to our events, special announcements, and hook you up with personal branding tools. They're awesome. And if you want to come hang out with me, Jessica, I spend most of my time on Instagram. You can find me at Jessica Zweig. That's J-E-S-S-I-C-A-Z-W-E-I-G. My last name is German, by the way. And we can spend some time there. That's it for now. And until the next episode, have a simply awesome week. Bye, guys. This podcast was produced by Dante32.